Hi guys, welcome to Between Appointments Podcast. I'm Sarah, your host, and this is where I dive into conversations, topics, trends, and all the things in between that clients bring into the shop while I'm doing their hair. These conversations are so big, broad, and fun that they belong in the ears of many. So thanks for being here, and let's get into it. Hi guys, welcome back. It's me, Sarah. And this week's episode, you get solo me. I'm just going to be reflecting on some of the conversations I've had with my guests at the shop, both about the podcast and about aging and some of the patterns I see. I'm also going to dive into a little bit about the coming home program that I have because it's all oddly connected, which nothing is odd to me. It's all very much perfectly timed. And that's where we're going to go today. So let's just jump on in. I keep seeing this pattern with the conversations with the guests that are on over the last few weeks. And the two patterns I see are one, doing something is better than doing nothing. Do something. And it's funny because in the conversations I've had at the shop with clients about like, what do you think, like, what's the hardest part of aging for you? Or what's the easiest part of aging for you? Um, very rarely do people answer the light, the later convert or question there about what's been easy. <laughs> they kind of skip over that. But um, everybody keeps talking about the challenge of looking in the mirror and not having that connection to how you feel mentally or internally. And that would be hard. I've been there with like the pregnancy experience, but not the aging experience. And, you know, understanding that like doing something to support how you look at yourself physically and really adding some acceptance or okayness to doing whatever it is that you need to do to feel better about how you look, I think is really the big takeaway I've gotten. Because not everybody has the desire, the means, the interest to throw money or focus or fixate on different things physically with how they look. So just because that isn't your journey doesn't mean that it's not an okay one for somebody else. And really just making it acceptable to women largely, but I think this can also touch on any type of human, that it's okay when we see other humans doing something different with their aging process. I know myself, and I'll call it out, have had these moments of being a little bit judgmental and that's human and that's normal and that's okay as long as we're not doing it overtly or constantly or in a mean way but you kind of have witnessed people do things and you're like oh they're they must be one of those types of people and we have to take a step back and remember there's internal dialogues we each get to have with ourselves and if you need to do something to then see yourself look a certain way, to then connect to how you're mentally feeling, that is something you should pursue wholeheartedly. And that is okay. And we should be reminded to keep that in check as we kind of witness how other people age because all of our experiences are going to be very different. 
there's not one way to do it. But doing something for yourself is better than doing nothing as you age. Whether it's the inner work about how you feel about your body or it's keeping your intellect up to prevent any type of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't know, like decline. Yeah, decline in how our mental capacity functions, whether it's really figuring out like why we believe the systems we believe in and do we actually want to subscribe to them. And so it's like understanding that doing that inner work around these different subjects will then allow us to inform and educate and pursue what it is that we really need. And that's that's the other tie-in that I keep seeing pattern-wise with the conversations with guests. And as I'm talking to my clients who are a little bit older, and I'd say anybody who's over the age of 70 in my book is older. Like I think age is just a number, but these humans have been on this earth for 70 years and that's a long time to be here. So I think it's okay to label them as older. Um, But it's really the inner work, the mindset. And a lot of people, as I've asked them, have said, you know, if you don't keep up with what's happening in the world, with how your family history got you to be the way that you are, to think the way that you do about yourself as you age, you're going to have a lot more challenge with it. Because you're just falling into this subscription of like, I'm just following the patterns that society is telling me versus making it my own. And I think we all can understand that when we start to really lean into our own trajectory in this world, it feels a lot better. It feels a lot safer. And that's really, I mean so much of like what my coming home program has been about. And for those of you who don't know me or don't know much about what coming home is in the other parts of my business, it's a program that I have been kind of creating and pulling together over the last, I would say two years, like really consciously, but subconsciously it's been building itself for probably eight or nine years. Um, last year I launched, launched a quarterly gathering, an in-person gathering. So each quarter I rented a space, I would open up slots for people to come in and learn about coming home to them to themselves. And the idea of this program that I have created is really tied to the elemental parts of the world. So that's cultural, historical, um, actual like elements, you know, earth, water, fire, metal, and the seasons. And then I like to link it to a little bit of mysticism or divination or woo-woo, hippy-dippy stuff that some people eye roll and don't want anything to do with. And that's okay. The whole point of it is for me is to really educate people on how to lean into existing systems like the holidays, the time of year, the weather, the energetics around us, with elements because we all know with physics that things do give vibrations and pull in things or the power of sound to support ourselves through harder times of our lives and also to support us when things are easy to kind of make it more celebratory. How to use these tools to feel 
more at home in their own bodies so that they can have that safety within themselves and then also inspire other people around them or create a sense of deeper connection with their friends, their family, their partners, their children, and maybe even create an extension of friendship through that process of coming home. And the part of this process of like bringing in the mysticism and the woo-woo is really to kind of modernize it because I know for myself, like this is me really calling out some old stuff for myself. Like I hated like hippy dippy stuff. I shouldn't say hated. I just, that was not something I subscribed to. I wanted to be a part of a church. I wanted to be a part of a religion. I didn't care about the earth. I remember, and people who know me in college have probably heard me say this, but I littered. Like I would litter and be like, I give something for the hippies to talk about. Like that was a line out of my mouth. Embarrassingly, as a young person, I was not into this stuff. I wanted to feel a part of something else so much bigger than me. I put quotes around that, um, air quotes, and I never found it. I didn't have the really big group of girlfriends in middle school and high school and college. I wasn't like, I wasn't in sororities. I I didn't do the things that other people I saw around me doing. I wanted to deeply, but it just wasn't a part of my life's journey. And I also, I used to hate hiking, which is also funny. Like I used to think like, who the hell hikes? You walk up a dirt hill to turn around and walk down. Like that is so dumb. Like go to the gym, go to a workout class. Like who needs to move their body? I even thought that at one point, like this is stupid. Like this was when I was much younger, like early college. I just, I rolled it because I, I didn't like being sore. I thought it was like weird. And then slowly as I started to get older and I turned 25 and I really believe that frontal lobe closing (laughs) helped me expand into the person that I am really proud to be today, I started to kind of wake up. And I have to say a lot of the waking up process came after a lot of loss in my life. And I guess I'm going into this story that I didn't even realize, but I'm just going to keep going. So follow the bouncing ball. When I was a high schooler, there was a lot of death within our community. I had lost my grandfather in fifth grade, which was kind of young, but that was my first real experience with losing somebody close to our family. And then I got into high school and I had a good friend whose dad passed away And then in our high school community, there were two Catholic schools and we lost a, not a classmate at my high school, but at another high school and going to her service as like a representative from my high school, it just, it was like another like experience around death of somebody my age who passed away from mono. And then I got out of high school got into college and my freshman year, we had a very scary situation the end of my freshman year with a friend who had drank too much, punched like 
a door, cut his arm, and then ran because of whatever he was feeling at the time. And me and a friend, we went to go like help find him. The roommates all called. They said, hey, can you help us? The cops are here. We don't know where he went. And we found him and he was, I mean, alive, but barely. And the police got there. They took him to the hospital. And this was like at two, three in the morning. I don't even know that I've gone over these things with my parents, but, you know, I went to the hospital with my friend. We hadn't been drinking. We were actually studying for finals. And, you know, the cops just kind of lumped us into this group without really assessing like who we were and how we were a part of it. We were just there being like good Samaritans, you know, as I was kind of taught to do. And they made us stay there until his mom got there and they wanted us to tell his mom what happened. And we didn't really even know the full story because we weren't there. We just were like pulled in later. But it was this like very scary thing because he almost died. His blood alcohol level was so high. He had lost so much blood. And had I not pulled a towel out of the back of my trunk when we found him and like wrapped it around his arm, he would have died. He totally cut through his entire artery in his arm. And it was scary. Like there was just, it was a mess. It was something I totally blocked out at the time and then moved to Arizona, transitioned into like this new desert life and like kind of forgot all of that trauma and death. And then my grandmother got sick and she passed away several months later. And my grandmother was like a second mom. She was at everything that my parents were at. And I'm going to get emotional because it's heavy stuff. And at a very young age, I had already experienced death in different ways. Now experiencing with somebody who helped raise me was very impactful. I was moving into my first apartment with roommates. I had just lost my grandmother. And then every other month, I want to say for about a year that somebody in our family unit was passing away. Like an uncle on this side, an aunt on this side, another uncle, like it just, it kept going. And then we got the call about my mom's mom who like, I was also very close with her. And that was like the final one, the final death of that year. And I'll never forget. My dad called me. I was driving home from work on Chaparral road. Ugh. And my dad said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm driving. He's like, can you pull over? And I just knew instantly somebody was dead. So I pulled over and he told me about my grandmother. She had a brain or an aneurysm and she was in the hospital. My mom was flying up to Idaho and we'd all need to drive up there for the services. And it just, it, it shook me so hard. I got off the phone with him and I cried so hard staring at this big pond at Chaparral Park in Scottsdale, Arizona. If you know, you know. (laughs) And these ducks are just playing around and there were geese and they had this beautiful house on the Snake River where geese would come and go and it was just so magical. Like being in their home that they really worked their whole lives to kind of retire into and she hadn't been there very long and she was gone. And so we went through that whole process, came back, and I definitely did not have the tools, nor did society really preach like a lot of 
supportive behavior for any of us at the time to seek after we lost somebody or this many people in this magnitude of a way as a family. And I think we all just kind of survived it. We, we stuffed the feelings down. We didn't process it. We definitely like did the best we could with how we handled all of this loss within a very short period of time. And my parents, I don't know how they did it while raising my brother. I don't know how they did it while working. I don't know how they did it while supporting their college daughter. <laughs> like they, they did the very best they could in a very trying like 15 month period for our family. And I finished college, got through that, and I had a really good friend that I worked with who overdosed and passed away. And that was really hard. That was a really hard one to experience just because it was something we all saw as friends unraveling in front of us, his addiction. And it started out as like a very social thing. And then it just kind of like took on a life of its own. And we didn't know him in the end. He wasn't around us that were like his core, I want to say, like good group of friends. And I spoke with him the week that he overdosed. And the last conversation I had with him, it just, I could hear the desire for him to be healthy and not want to use pills and drugs and just not having the support or the help but he understood why he used them. And that's not my story to tell in this ever. But showing up at his memorial was incredible because there was standing room only. And it was at a big church here in Scottsdale. And a a big group of us from the W where I worked in college um, showed up. And I remember walking in and some of the people who worked at the church were nearby and they were like, we didn't expect somebody like him to have this kind of turnout. And I just like turned and looked at them with this glare of what does that mean? And I knew that his family was very religious. He was not, he did it more so to like appease his family member. But I just remember hearing that because there was not an empty seat in the room. There were so many people who showed up because he had such a beautiful, like charismatic smile and way of living his life. Ugh. That was a hard one. Um, and so I don't even know where I'm going with this. But again, another loss, seeing things that don't make sense. We're in a church space to celebrate somebody who didn't have what they needed in order to survive something that took over their life leave too soon. He was too young. And that was a hard thing to experience and break down and process and integrate. And I didn't even know what those words were at the time. And so I didn't. So it stuffed itself down. And then I started to go through this whole process of getting to know myself a little bit better as I was doing hair. I was working with a lot of like different types of clients, older, younger. I said yes to every type of hair. And I really got close with a lot of my clients because I saw my clients sometimes more than I felt like I saw my family, which, you know, really was just me surviving to pay my bills and support myself. And also I think a lot of it was for me was I was highly 
emotional and suppressing wanting to like deal with those emotions because I didn't have a healthy way to do it. And I always wanted my parents and my family to see me as like a very put together, like strong and emotionally like intelligent human. And I just wasn't. So I think I was very avoidant for a couple years, which was okay. And then I started to kind of wake up after I lost a client of mine, which is a hairdresser. We go through so many emotions and experiences with our clients. And this was my first time losing a client. And unfortunately, she was in her 30s. And I saw her very regularly. Uh, Her name was Kat. And she really inspired me. She got me to start running. She got me to start kind of moving my body just because she had this bigger than life personality. And I have to say, like, she really was a catalyst, no pun intended, but she loved that. (laughs) Um, To me, starting to take care of myself in a lot healthier way and enjoying life a little bit more. She was a huge yogi. She loved to be out traveling, seeing the world. Just she was a yes girl. And she went skiing one weekend before she was supposed to go. I was supposed to do her hair and I was having a really off day for a lot of reasons at the time. I was going through stuff in a relationship I was in. I was emotional. I just, it was a heavy, heavy season of life for me. And I rarely ever cancel hair appointments. And I knew I was close enough with her that I could say, Hey, I'm having a hard day. Could we reschedule your hair after your ski trip? And she said, absolutely. And she went skiing and she got caught in an avalanche and she passed away. And I have never canceled a hair appointment since for emotional reasons. I've canceled them because I've been physically sick, but I just am like, I'm never doing that again because I didn't get to say goodbye to her. Not that I would have known, but she left this earth so early and she inspired so many people all over. And after she passed away, I kind of vowed that I would take her spot on a yoga mat. And currently I'm not practicing yoga like I used to, but from there forward, I really, I got into it like hard and I really hated yoga. (laughs) I took yoga, I took a hot yoga class or I signed up for a free two week like pass in hair school at a hot yoga studio by me where I was living at the time. And after two classes, two or three classes, I think it was. The owner, she refunded me the two weeks and said, honey, this is not your workout and sent me on my way because I just could not get my body to regulate after I leave the hot yoga studio. And I just took that as like, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to do yoga, <laughs> which wasn't the case. It just, I wasn't in this, the space to do it because of what was going on inside. I just didn't know that then. So when she left, when Kat passed away, I took her spot. And I remembered my Nana, my mom's mom, the one who passed away at the end of that horrific season. She, she liked yoga. She would set up these really cute beach towels for us as a kid. And we would go outside and she would show me some yoga poses. And she wasn't like a diehard yogi, but that was my like early experience or introduction to it. 
And I remember going to my first yoga class after Cat passed at Modern Yoga. And it was hard. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Thank goodness John, who owns the yoga studio, was teaching because he saw me. And he didn't see me from the lens of being a new yoga student, but he saw that I was really hurting. And I just remember being in Shavasana and he put his hands on my feet and just like held them and the tears just poured out of my little body. Ooh, and they're totally pouring out now. But it was like I finally had a space to release so much hurt and sadness and grief. And he was like, you need to go to Desiree's classes. So I signed up every week on Wednesdays and Fridays for the 6 a.m. class. And I just let everything out on that damn yoga mat. (laughs) And I did not anticipate movement and stillness and breathing to help me process emotions. What I learned in that yoga studio tied in so much to what I now have gone on to learn deeper about other modalities and systems. But this is really like the story of how I came into this space of coming home to myself because my home was full of so many other people's stories. And that was okay because that's my lived experience to enjoy and also experience hardship as I go through life with my community and my friends and my family, but it doesn't have to live in my body. (sighs) Man, I did not think this was going to go this way on this podcast episode, but I'm really glad you guys are here with me through it. Um, So coming home has really been a process since 2015, 2016 for me. And I am not somebody who wants to tell everybody, you got to go do yoga, you need to be a hiker, you need to be into astrology and human design and all these things. That's not, that's not the programming of it. What the programming I believe in and am trying to teach to many people and also really support people who work in the service industry, either as hairdressers or estheticians or waiters or bartenders or hoteliers, whatever that is, where you serve the public. Coming home is a program meant for you to understand that you are held by really simple and easy elements of this world. It comes in through the places we surround ourselves in, the earth, your homes, your workspace, your car, Wherever it is that you interact in this world, that is an environment that you need to have connection with. The other part of it is your body. That can look like how you dress it, how you wear your hair, what kind of products you put on it, how you feed it, how you move it. But you have to figure out that relationship with your body that gets to be in those environments. 
And then the next piece of it is the inner stuff. I don't have a really big fancy word for it because it's just the inner stuff that can look like religion, that can look like spirituality, that can look like atheism, but that inner working that exists within you that allows for you to understand who you are at the core, where that story started to create that core, and where that core wants to go to expand and grow and feel safe and seen and appreciated and respected, that's the inner. So coming home has been something I have been subconsciously and spiritually guided on and physically guided on by so many parts of my life, my community, my teachers, my clients, my family, my friends. And I'm excited because it's growing into something I didn't, I didn't project this. I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to do this. It's just kind of happening. And I'm so grateful for it. I am excited to share more of it as it grows because I think it does tie into this whole aging well or self-preservation process that we have kind of been diving into with the podcast. And I'll be doing like a monthly gathering now with a local studio um, around the full moon to kind of help people tie into some of that woo-woo spiritual stuff. But I try and do a really delicate job of making it feel more modern and not so intensely hippie, like hardcore. I want this to be something that people are able to like have as a palatable experience, no matter what level of person you are. I want people to come home to themselves. So this was a much deeper episode this week than I anticipated. And I really, I really hope you guys enjoy it (laughs) or you at least understand a little bit more about me. And if this is some piece of my story that resonates with you, I would love to connect with you on it. So Feel free to send me a little message on Instagram or if you know somebody who has had, you know, hard years or feels lost or whatever. If you if somebody came to mind while you were listening to this, let's share it with them. That's probably been the other piece of this that I've loved the most is as I've gone into this work and even creating this podcast, the community that it has opened up has just been so nourishing to my little body and soul. And I'm just, I'm hopeful that I can add that to other people's lives. So thank you guys for being here next week. We will keep getting into the aging well series and I hope you have a good week. Happy Thursday. What an episode that was to record. I had a low key vulnerability hangover after recording it before this episode dropped today. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate every review, comment, like, follow, even the little like screenshot the episode on your phone and put it on your stories and tag me at Between Appointments Podcast or on my personal page at RA period RA period Tovey T O V E Y. You can tag either or both. And it just, it makes me feel like we have this little connection. So I love hearing from you guys and thank you. Thank you for joining me for this conversation between appointments.